And for the rest of you, if you have your Bibles, um, Mark chapter 11. I got to get all situated here. There we go. See, when you give me extra things that I'm not used to, my ADHD mind forgets the things I'm supposed to do normally. So putting this on was one of those things I was supposed to do normally. I totally forgot about it. Um, plan C worked out good. Uh, maybe we should get rid of plan A and plan B. And uh, sorry, David and Greg, you could be sick as often as you like. I'm just kidding. Uh, we do miss them, but um, ladies did a great job, and um, you know the Lord knows always what we need, and so we're grateful for that. Mark chapter number 11. It is Palm Sunday, and there's a lot across the country that uh, in a world probably that have a lot of festivities and a lot of things planned or excited about this season. Matter of fact, even casual churchgoers, this might be one of the more attended services that they go to. Of course, Easter is going to be up there, and the Christmas season is going to be up there. And there's a lot of things surrounding Palm Sunday. And a lot of it uh, goes to why Palm Sunday, like why is it called Palm Sunday, as, as Brother Keith read earlier, and we're going to read again because we are preaching out of Mark ch- chapter 11, um, as Jesus went into Jerusalem to proclaim that he was, in fact, Messiah and King, through the fulfillment of that scripture, the triumphant entry, they laid down palms and cried out, Hosanna in the highest. But I do want to get your attention this morning, and I want to say this. Though it's Palm Sunday, not all that are excited about Christ today really want Christ as their King. Not everyone who partakes in the recognition of Palm Sunday events across the globe really want the King of Kings in their lives. And if we think back to the story, and we're going to get and develop in just a minute, uh, those people who laid down the palms and said, Hosanna in the highest, really didn't want Jesus as king, because when he presented himself as king, they later that week cried out, crucify him, crucify him, and crucify him. And I find it ironic and interesting that all the religious recognition and the hoopla of things do not at all oftentimes signify what's in the heart. So what I want to ask you as a way of provoking you to think this morning through the Spirit of God is how comfortable are you with Jesus as your King? I'm not asking how comfortable you are with going to church, and I'm not asking how comfortable you are with doing religious activities or getting excited about the Easter season. I'm asking you how comfortable are you with Jesus as your King? And that goes twofold. Number one, some of you have not yet called on Christ to be your Savior. And so if He's not your Savior, He's certainly not your King. And uh, we would implore you and beseech you today, those are just words that say we urgently cry out for you to call on Jesus to be your Savior today. But I also want to say that even followers of Jesus, even believers, don't always live in recognition to the King being the King. It's a funny thing about us. We like to be on the throne and we don't like to get off the throne even when we are believers. Even when we say Jesus is King, we don't always want to have Him be the rule of our lives. We like to maintain rule over our lives. And then when we need a little help, we'll call on God to help us. But I want to remind you that God is God and He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we are but dust. We are vile maggots in His sight. And yet He loved us so much that He sent His only Son to die for us. And so it is a glorious day. 
Um, and, and we'll get to that as he, as he pronounces himself to be the king, to be the Messiah, to be the fulfillment of all the prophecies that led up to it. But that doesn't mean that that translated into the hearts of the people. Let's pray and then we'll look at this. Father, thank you so much for the scriptures today. Thank you for the wonderful music. Thank you the music, Lord, that the words can glorify your name, can lift you up, can acknowledge you to be the Savior, the Lamb, the King, the resurrected God. Father, our all and in all. And so, Lord, we just pray, Father, that you'd open our hearts to want you as King, to follow your leadership, to want to um, not be fickle in our walk with you, but, Lord, to full-time and 100%, Lord, to submit before you and follow you. We love you, Lord, and we just pray for your power now to be ever so present. And, Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see and hear what we need to see and hear. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read through Mark 11 again, um, as Brother Keith read, but we're going to read the first seven verses. The Bible says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem on the Bethpage in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, wherein never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where the two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them stood there and said unto them, Why do you loose, why, what do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus hath commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Now as we get up to this point, um, if you were with us on the Thursday night services, we're going through the book of Luke, and what we're looking at is as Jesus is starting his journey towards Jerusalem, much of his early ministry was up in the, in the Galilean area, in the Capernaum area, and now he's making his way to Jerusalem to get to this point. But the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the less popular he seems to get. See, up north he was performing miracles, and, and that gained crowds, and that great gained followers, and that gained people who were interested. But the closer he gets, and the more specific his message gets, the more he starts agitating the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders, they wanted religion, they didn't want God. They wanted their version of God, they didn't want who God really was. And so when presented with who God really was, and the right truth, and the right scriptures, um, that agitated them. And so when Jesus gets to this point, he's already made a lot of religious leader enemies. And so, and his crowd has not been that big. Sure, lots and thousands of people have come to be fed, and thousands of people have come to see miracles, but they're not all followers of Jesus in heart and in faith. A lot of them are very hesitant. A lot of them are very offhandish uh, with it, or at least just fickle. They want to see, and they want to be fed. They want to see the miracles. They want to be entertained, and they want to be healed. They want to see those things. But Jesus has not gained this large mass crowd to be able to stand firm for him no matter what. And so when Jesus comes here and he says his disciples, this is going to be at the beginning of the Passion Week, this is going to be at the beginning of what will be the week of his death, he sends his disciples to go find a cult. And go into this village and find this cult that no man has ever sat upon, this donkey that no man has ever sat upon. And when you find the owner there... Just take it. And when the owner says, hey, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of it. 
Now, doesn't that sound bizarre? Doesn't that sound weird if someone came into your driveway and said, um, give me your keys right now? Well, why? God needs it. You would be like, all right, crazy. You ain't taking the car, right? Um, that might be some you know, odd things. You call the cops, say, okay, I'll go get the keys. And you go in and call 911. But as odd as it sounds, I, I speculate that the man whose cult it was, who owned the donkey, would have been very excited at this message. And you say, well, why would he be excited at this ragamuffin group? Because remember, Jesus, in everything he did, was humble beginnings. Jesus was born in a borrowed manger. Right? He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. If anybody should have been born with pomp and circumstance, it should have been Jesus. But Jesus chose to be born where there was no room even in the inn for His parents. He was put in a lowly manger where it was a feeding trough of animals. And when He walks around, He's not walking around in His public ministry with the disciples. They don't have glorious robes. They don't have what the Pharisees had with their broad phylacteries and their garments that had all these hanging things to gain attention. They would have had really dirty, ragamuffin-type robes that were just common things. When Jesus will be buried, it will be in somebody else's tomb. Jesus, the Bible said, even Jesus said that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. Everything that Jesus did was humble. Everything that Jesus did was without fanfare with earthly circumstances. And so, understand this, when He comes, the disciples come, they would have been this ragamuffin, probably tattered um, garments, asking for the donkey. The Lord had need of it. But this man seemingly knows the Scriptures, and seemingly, I speculate, would have been excited by it. For Zechariah 9.9, this is in the Old Testament, here's the prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the fowl of an ass. And so the Bible says that when the king comes, he is coming with salvation, he's coming with the with the accomplishment of salvation for his people, and he will ride on this donkey, and as he does, that's going to be the proclamation that he, in fact, is the fulfillment of this scripture, and he, in fact, is the king. And so when the disciples told this man, we need, or the Lord needs the donkey, this man would have known, oh, it's time. It's been proclaimed, Messiah is here. See, since the time of Genesis chapter 3, when the fall of man came, the, all of mankind and all of creation had been waiting for this week. Because the, um, all of creation was marred through sin, and only through Christ, only through the Messiah would come when, when He would step on the serpent's head and it would bruise His heel, but He would crush the head of the serpent and He would provide salvation. When the Jews got word that the prophecy would come and the Messiah would come and it would come through the tribe of Judah and that it would come on this donkey, that would be the proclamation of it. They all were waiting. They were all anticipating. They knew it and they were waiting. And, and for Jesus' public ministry up to this point, He had been kind of doing this. If you see that in the Scriptures, when He would perform a miracle, sometimes He would say, go and tell no man. Now He knew they would go tell somebody because how were you blind and now you see and don't tell anybody? Or how were you lame, paralyzed, and Jesus gave you the ability to walk and now you don't tell anybody? 
It's not possible. So he knew that they were going to tell people, but he was saying, Shh, don't tell anybody. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Some people re- reference this as what's called the messianic secret. It was a time when Jesus was saying, it's not yet proclaimed publicly that I am Messiah. It is not yet proclaimed publicly that I am King. But this thing here, this event here, would for the first time universally in Jerusalem publicly proclaim Messiah has come. And so this man knew exactly what was going on. And Jesus would have known exactly what He was ordering to be done. That He, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, would come marching on a cult. And He was saying for the first time, it is now time. My hour is come. I am the King. And it is all for to be known. Publicly announced. So look how the crowd responds. Look at verse number 8. And many spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches of trees and strewed them in the way. That's the palms. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest! And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. As he marches on, I mean, at this time there was a pilgrimage to Jerusalem because the Passover was about to be partaken of that week, and and that was a great ceremonial uh, um, happening of the Jews, and so many people were traveling in the way, in the road that would lead to Jerusalem, and so they would be walking there, minding their own business, kind of just strolling on, and then they would see Jesus with the garments on him riding the, the colt. And those that knew the Scripture would begin to turn and I'd imagine goosebumps would begin to rise and, 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 and their jaws would begin to drop because either this was the King, the Messiah, or this was a great act of blasphemy. This would be a great act of, of heresy to, because everybody knew that this was not just somebody who was tired and needed to ride a donkey on in. They knew this was the fulfillment of the Scripture that he was saying, I am Messiah. I am King. And the people, they all began to cut branches down and lay in front of him. Like a bride when she comes down the center aisle, um, sometimes they'll be the runner and sometimes they'll be the flower girl who throws the petals that the bride may walk upon as a way of honoring and beauty of the, of, of the coming of the bride. And, and here they're putting down the branches Uh, for the king to walk upon or the the donkey that carries the king to walk upon. And in front of them and in back of them, the crowd begins to chant, Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna in the highest! Um, And they are excited. Blessed be uh, he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They're not confused who he's saying he is. They're not at all confused. I find it amazing that there are groups of people out in the world who think that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. There is no way that Jesus was just a good moral teacher, and here's why. Because everybody who knows anything will know that Jesus proclaimed Himself to be Messiah, King, Savior, God. If He's not that, He's not a good moral teacher. He's a huge and the biggest con man that ever walked the face of the earth. 
He's the biggest liar. He's convinced tons and tons of people to follow him when he in fact wasn't. So if anyone concludes Jesus was just a good moral teacher, then they're being dishonest with evidence because he, they, they ought to know who he said he was. They all knew who he said he was. Now whether or not they'll accept it or reject it will be seen. But for now, they're excited. Look, Messiah's come. Messiah's come. Messiah's come. And they begin to welcome Him. Here is the Messiah. Here's who we've been waiting for. This since the time of Genesis. Since This since the time of Zechariah. This since the time of Isaiah. This since the time of all the prophecies that portrayed the Christ. Here He is. Their wait was over. Salvation has now come. And yet as I previewed before, before the week's over, their tune will absolutely change. Before a few days is up, he will have been arrested, tried illegally, murdered by way of Roman crucifixion, and in less than seven days will have resurrected from the grave. But for right now, he's received, welcomed, he is praised. Now I'm going to give what happens in, in just a minute, but I think we can see this analogy that's so indicative of modern Christianity. And like I said earlier, people get all excited about Palm Sunday. But the very people who put down the palms will be the same people who yell, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. Not in a generation later. Not years down the road. In a few days. How in the world? Can I say this? Not everybody that... Not every building that calls itself a church wants any, not all of them want anything to do with Jesus. Oh, they might have his name, they might have his cross, they might even say his name, but don't forget for a second that, that Paul said in Galatians 1, if any man preach another Christ, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. There are a lot of false Christs. And here they were excited to have Messiah. They wanted the religious ceremony, but they didn't really want Christ. And people are so happy often to like to want to praise God, but in their heart they really don't want God. They want Christ, but they don't want a walk or to truly worship Him. And so as a way of warning, as a way of, of introspective thinking today, where are you in the area of Christ as your King? Are you one of the ones that would have laid the palms down and later on that week been amongst the posse that says crucify Him? Or would you have laid the palms down said Hosanna in the highest and stood with Him no matter what? Let's be honest, friends. We are fickle people. We absolutely go to and fro. Our flesh is strong at times. Our desire to serve God is on our terms, we want to make God, and since the beginning, we want to make God in our image and worship that. You know, when Moses went up to the mountain, and we use this reference sometimes, and he comes down, he was only up there about 40 days and comes down, and they're already, I mean, this is the Exodus, this is the people that had been brought out of the land of Egypt. They knew who God was, they saw it, they saw the power, they saw the red, they walked across the Red Sea, dry ground. Within a month's time, they were worshiping a golden calf and dancing around naked saying, this is God. And we've got to be thinking, how, what? 
How in the world did they think that's God? Didn't they see who it was? Didn't they know Moses was leading them? Didn't they, and Aaron, Aaron, don't you know? Don't you know better? We are often no different. We want to pretend we're different. But the reality is, we want God in our image. Or if things don't go our way, we'll do it our way. Or, you know, we'll, 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 we'll abandon it. We'll make it different. This is pretty pretty drastic measures but again how else do you chalk it up they said hosanna in the highest everybody's saying hosanna in the highest they're all excited the fanfare would have been loud as he marched into jerusalem that would have spread like wildfire that would have went into the temple that would have been exciting but before the week's end and see here i think is what the point is here's what happened i think And it kind of alludes to what I was just saying. They were excited to realize that he was God, but then they realized he was God. I'm going to say that again. They were excited to realize that he was God, and then they realized he was God. And that did not jive with what they wanted. See, they liked the fact that God was now in their presence, right there in front of them, but then they realized that he was God, and by being God, He alone was God, and they had to be subjected to Him, not the other way around. See, the Pharisees loved to say, God told me this, and do whatever they wanted to do. And they liked to say, well, God wants, you know, we're the religious leaders, so God spoke to us. See, Jesus is God, not our projection of Him. See, a lot of times we make God out to be what we want Him to be, and we neglect to truly understand that He is God and we're subjected to Him. Now remember, as soon as Jesus gets to, to Jerusalem, here's what starts to stir the pot. It's the time of the Passover, and inside of the temple, they're selling sacrifices. Now the reason they're selling sacrifices, they have this kind of racket going. You're journeying from, I'll, I'll pretend like I'm running a commercial for the Passover sacrifices. You're journeying far and wide, friends. Don't bring your sacrifices with you. We will provide them for you for a small charge in the temple. So if you're coming from far off countries, if you're walking for days, you don't want to have to carry doves and lambs. We have them provided for you. It sounds like, you know, okay, well, that's nice. So they would get to the temple, and they would go in the temple, and they would say, okay, we'd like to, we have to make sacrifice for the Passover. We'd have to make a sacrifice for the different um, atonements and the sacrifices that are, are this and the festival after. And they said, okay, this cost. And they said, man, that's a lot of money. Well, you have no other choice now. So he said, well, I have no other choice. I have to celebrate the Passover. I have to participate. And so they chalk over the money and say, no, 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 sorry, we don't accept that currency. You have to exchange it to our currency. And by the way, there's an exchange rate and it's high. So it'd be like you going to Canada and say, okay, I'm going to buy something in the Canadian and, and up in Canada. They say, we don't, we're, right now we're not accepting the American dollar. We, you have to translate to the Canadian dollar. And, and by the way, it's a, it's a little extorted rate. And so they were double dipping. They were selling things for an extorted rate and they were um, exchanging the money for an extorted rate. And then here comes the man who was riding on the donkey. And he comes in and he absolutely flips the table over. And the money goes flying everywhere. It causes a scene, a ruckus. And the Pharisees, because they're not spirit-led, 
They're absolutely unsaved carnal goats, if you will. They are vicious men. They want to kill Him. But they can't. Why? Because they have a whole crowd of people yelling, Hosanna in the highest. Salvation has come. The King is here. But the Pharisees sit there and they're, they're seething with anger and embarrassment. Don't think for a second for a, a tribe of people who really, really um, fashion themselves on pride. Jesus has just absolutely embarrassed them. Money goes flying. It's loud. And they're sitting there. And now they begin to concoct their plan. Now they begin to think. Look at verse 18. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy Him. For they feared Him. Because all the people was astonished at His doctrine. So now they say, we got to kill Him. He embarrassed us. He has no right to flip over the tables. And He said it's His Father's house. Remember, he flipped over the tables and said, um, how dare you make my father's house a den of thieves? And the people are following him and they're astonished at his power. It's amazing, again, the difference between the presence of God and religion. The presence of God has a power and authority and like nothing else. Religion just goes through ceremony and it's impressive and is feel good about what we're doing god's power is different his presence is different and see jesus was welcomed and then he sought to cleanse the temple from iniquity from sin but the cleansing was re was resisted and the jews began to harden their heart toward him and they will convince other people to be hardened even the ones that just welcomed him so I want you to put that in your, the forefront of your mind right now. As Jesus works in your heart, as the Spirit of God works in your heart, you either will be drawn to Him or you'll be drawn away from Him. When Jesus came, he w it was great that God was here. But then when He said we need to cleanse sin and we need to get right and we need this is what God is, some were softened and received Christ as King. Others were hardened and sought to destroy Him. Look at verse number 27. And they come again in Jerusalem, and as He was walking in the temple, there come to Him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. See, because they're growing hardened to Him, they begin to question Him. Who does He think He is? Who does he think he is here? Look at verse 28. And they say unto him, By what authority doest these things? And who gave this, of thee this authority to do these things? And so they're mad. Like, wait, it's like they catch him alone. They're not really inquiring. They're confronting. And throughout the next few days, Jesus, who had rightfully taken his throne as king of Israel, continued to teach and to preach. But it wasn't what the people wanted to hear. It was the truth. And I'll tell you this right now. You want to grow a church in numbers, you give the people what they want to hear. If you want to grow the church in spirit and in real growth, you tell them the truth of the Scriptures. You tell them what the Spirit of God says 
not what men want to hear. And guess what? That means that sometimes we're going to come to church and we're going to hear things we don't want to hear. Why? Because that's what the Spirit of God does. I mean, we are not walking holy vessels living a perfect life week to week. We come in and we got to get shook off of some of the garbage. we got to get down on our knees and confess our sins before Him. we got to get right and change our priorities at times. we got to get rid of some things at times because we are still full of sinful flesh. So Sometimes we're going to hear things that we're like, hey, wait a second. Good. When your feathers get ruffled a little bit because the Spirit of God ruffled them, good. That means God's doing the work. If you come in and it's all, oh, you're so wonderful, you're so good, just keep on doing what you're doing and it'll grow and prosper and great and great and great. No. That's not the way it works. Now sometimes there's the seasons of encouragement where God says, keep on keeping on. And there's sometimes it says, hey, 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 guys, we got to change this. we got to get... How many times did Jesus have to rebuke his disciples? He already did it in love. Always did it in love. O ye of little faith, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan had uh, sought to sift you as wheat. Um, There's all these different things that he had to rebuke his disciples for because they were a sanctifying work in progress like us. So praise God when the Spirit of God points something out that needs fixing. Now, I'm not for a church that just goes and blasts people just because they can and wants to just destroy and keep people bound down and, and you know, bully stick. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sometimes the truth ruffles feathers. Sometimes the truth's encouraging. But we're not telling people what they want to hear. They're mad that he didn't say what they wanted to hear. And they were willing to reject it. And so Jesus went to cleansing They didn't want it. They're looking for occasion now to get them. Now jump over to chapter 14, verse number 1. Same book. The Bible says, And after two days was the feast of the Passover and of leavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. See, they ain't messing around. They're not like, how do we get rid of him out of the city? How do we banish him? How do we arrest him? No, 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 no. They said, how can we destroy him? How can we kill him? Because they're very spiritual men, right? These spiritual uh, leaders are very, very kind, loving men. They're just looking to kill and destroy him. Verse number 2, But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. Stink. We can't kill him today. People get all upset. They're really good religious leaders, by the way. Look at chapter 15, verse number 11. Bible says, but the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him ye call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! Then Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him! Uh, The crowd gets so hardened... This is the crowd. This is not just the religious leaders now. This is the crowd. The Pilate, who's the Roman governor at the time, says, okay, what do we do here? Um, I don't really see a good reason to kill this guy. I mean, they're like, we need to kill this guy. And, And Pilate's like, okay, why do we need to kill him? Because he said he's the king of the Jews. Okay. And he's blaspheming. All right. If you don't kill him, we will cause a riot, and then you'll be in trouble because we know that you're already under the, under the hot seat. And the hot seat, 
because of it. He said, all right, I don't want to riot because I'll be in trouble. All right, we'll crucify him. It was this political game. But Pilate's like, I really, after interviewing Jesus, his wife has this dream. Said, I don't really think we should do this. Hmm, I have an idea. It's a Jewish custom that somebody goes free for the Passover lamb. It's a picture of salvation, right? Uh, let someone go free. And he takes the murderous guy, Barabbas, uh, an insurrectionist, somebody who's committed murder before. We'll bring him, one of the worst guys in prison. We'll, we'll give him or Jesus. Who do you want to release? Surely they'll choose Jesus because this guy's crazy. This guy's a murderer. This guy's causes riots. This guy hurts people. Jesus, uh, he said he's king of the Jews. Now, whether he is or not, eh, whatever. And the crowd is so hardened now. The same ones that Hosanna... Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Salvation is here. The king has come. It's the same crowd that says, release unto us Barabbas and crucify him. Even Pilate, even Pilate, who is a pagan Roman, is like, uh, guys, what in the world? I don't understand. I don't get it. Like, like I don't get it. Crucify him. Whoa. That's how hard in their heart it become. Well, the same group that said, He's here. Hosanna. Yay. But they didn't want God. They wanted their manifestation of God. Look at verse 16. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him. And bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. They put the crown of thorns. They mocked him. Verse 24, Bible says here, when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them and every, that every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over, the King of the Jews. Verse 37, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. In the most brutal of ways, they got rid of Jesus. In the most gruesome of ways. See, on Monday they were praising Him and welcoming Him. Before the week was over, they hated Him so much that they were torturing Him and they were crucifying Him. And the torture and the killing was not done in some back room somewhere, in some interrogation spot. It was done publicly and by the cheering of the people. What happened? They wanted God, but they didn't really want God. They wanted the king, but they didn't really want the king. They wanted Messiah, but they didn't really want Messiah. Are you getting it? Some people want Christ, but they don't really want Christ. They celebrate Palm Sunday, but they don't really want to have him as king. And what I don't want is for us to be that same way. And I'm not accusing any of us to be that same way. But what I am saying is, it didn't take long for the people to want to push Christ out. Isn't it amazing? There was no room for him in the inn. When he came, and now on his way out, there's still no room for him. 
And we don't ever want to be people, family, or church that have no room for Christ or no real presence of Christ as King and Lord. We want to be the ones sold out for God, sold before Him, saying, Lord, not my will, but Thine be done. That His ways are not our ways. And God, if You're dealing with me with sin, Father, forgive me of it. And may Your grace sustain me as I walk forward. And so individuals receive Christ. They're excited when they, receive, they realize He's God. They're excited to have God in their life. You're excited to go to church. But then they realize as God, He is God and we're not. And we must submit. And this cleansing or this spirit working will either soften their hearts or harden their hearts. And for the ones that hearts have been hardened, they begin to pull away from God, they begin to abandon God, and they rarely concern themselves with Him. They don't want to be subject to Him. And I want to say this, you can't have God in your life truly and not be subjected unto Him. When you become a believer, a real believer, you are no longer the master of your own life. We are now servants we are now slaves before him we don't like that word slaves but that's the greek word doulos that's that word as paul often said paul a servant of christ it's a wonderful privileged position it's not one of evil dictator authoritarian it's one of a delighted god who chooses us to be servants of his what a delightful and awesome thing though we being lost in our trespasses and sins he has has quickened us. He has made us alive and called us to be servants of His. See, if you want Christ to be what you want Christ to be, then you may forever just be a Christian and disciple in name alone. But if you are a true follower of Christ, you will be wholly dedicated following Him. So let me submit this to you as we're almost done. He is King, whether we accept it or reject it. And my question for you is, will you be numbered with those who receive Christ as your King, or you'll be numbered with those who were excited to have God in our lives until we realize it was God in our life? And our projection of God doesn't jive with who God really is. There's a famous saying that often happens, oh, that's often said, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. That means as the Word of God goes out, for some... It melts their heart as wax and they come to Christ to be saved. They confess their sins. They follow God. They, 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 they are just sold out for Him. And for some other people, they hear the same message and they get hardened and they get mad and they start to seethe and they start to justify and they start to wander away. They start to get angry. The same Word of God, the same King, the same proclamation for some, it hardened. For some, it softened. And so, as we close this, this morning, as Christ presents Himself, hey listen, I am God, I am the King of kings, I am the Lord of lords, I am Messiah, I am the only way to eternal life. You will either receive that truth, or you will harden your heart and reject that truth. As believers, 
You're already saved. How are you living in subject to the king? As he comes and proclaims himself to be king, are you living dedicated to him? Or do you have your own agenda, living your own life, saying, see, here's what it is. Those who live in a kingdom are subjected to the rule of the king. Whose kingdom do you live in? Because if you're subjected to your own rule, you might name him as king, but you're living as if you're king. But if you will live as Christ is king, then you recognize you're subjected to him, just subjected to him, and that is it. So if you answer the question, why do I do what I do? And if God's not the answer, if it says, because I want to, or anything of that nature, it tells us who's on throne. And if you've never been saved, friend, you're hearing the proclamation. I'm telling you with 100% certainty, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and it is only through Him that salvation can be had. Would you call on Him today to save you? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Jesus once asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? But the more important question is, but who do ye say that I am? So I'll ask you that question. Who do you say Christ is today? Is He your King? Is He your Lord and Savior? If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? If you're sitting here and you say, Pastor Jason, if I were to die today, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. Would you please pray for me? If you're not sure if you're going to heaven, would you quietly raise your hand? that I might pray for you today. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to say your name or anything like that. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Please pray for me. Would you quietly raise your hand now? Let me ask the second question. How many people here would say this? Pastor Jason, I sometimes struggle with being submitted to the King. I sometimes struggle with trying to run my own life rather than submitted to Him running my life. If that's a struggle of yours sometimes, would you quietly raise your hand that I might pray for you? There's many hands raised. Many hands raised. You know what? Sometimes I'm like that. Sometimes I'm like, God, I hope this is not an idol in my life. God, I hope that, that I'm doing it right. Father, forgive me when my, my priorities are out of whack, out of balance. Let's not grow hardened to the Spirit of God. Let's be submitted to it. Let's stand to our feet, head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. As the piano begins to play, if you'd like to come pray about something, you want to come get something right, you want to come just praise God as King, why don't you step out of your seat and just take that time to come? Maybe you want to pray about something else entirely different. Why don't you come? Maybe there's just something to thank Him for. You can come. It's just a time for you to talk with the Lord.
sometimes the concept of God can come across very scary. But what a loving Savior we have. He could have just been a scary God and just destroyed the world in anger and in wrath. But instead, He chose to send His only Son and set all that wrath upon Him that you and I might be set free, that you and I might have the grace, that you and I might have mercy, that you, might have, you and I might have salvation. He loves us. We don't deserve it, but He loves us. He's a wonderful King. He's not one to be scared to death of if you know Christ. He's one that we cry out, Abba, Father, which is a term of endearment saying like Daddy. He's a gracious God who knows everything about us and still loves us. He works in our behalf even when we've proven ourselves unfaithful over and over again. He does kind things for us when we absolutely do not deserve it. And He is King whether we receive it or not. He is God. He is great. And I praise His name that I get to be a subject in His kingdom. And I know sometimes I fight with God and make myself King. But He is King. Let's never be like these people here who were excited to have God and before the week's long is over, their heart is hardened. They've rejected Him. They've crucified Him. They've spat in His face. Because they didn't want God. They wanted the concept of God. Father, I pray now that as we leave this place that we would depart with Your blessing. We would depart with the firm belief and understanding that You, in fact, are King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would work in our midst, Lord, and just transform us. We don't deserve it. Father, we, we, we've proven ourselves unfaithful over and over again, and yet You are so faithful. Thank You for being our King. Lord, we look at all earthly leaders, and they all fail at some point, but you never fail. I love the song, Jesus Never Fails. Father, thank you for being the greatest king. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving us. I pray with everybody who might need to know you as Savior. I pray for everybody, Lord, who sometimes fights and struggles with you, making themselves king. Father, have mercy upon us. I pray for every broken heart, for every thankful heart, for every discouraged heart, and for every encouraged heart. I pray that you'd be with us. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless the refreshments and the food and the things to partake of throughout the day. And bring us back safely tonight in your will. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.